Welcome to The Lively Show. Let's explore the beauty of being alive. Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's show. I am excited to be doing this episode with you. It is 7.15 in the morning. I woke up at 5.30 randomly this morning, and I just felt like podcasting. This is probably one of the earliest, if not the earliest episode I've ever recorded for you, but I am ready to go. Candle is burning. The weather is a little bit drizzly outside, and I am drinking a cup of my favorite coffee. Remember that sponsor for Sigmatic way back when on the show? I am back full on with them twice a day. I'm loving their balanced coffee, but this is not a sponsored episode. It's just something that is bringing me so much joy every single morning. Oh, I love it. Anyways, okay, let's get into it. Today, I felt like doing a Q&A episode. I did a little poll on Instagram at Bella Lively World the other day and asked what kind of beauty of being alive episode you guys would like next. And the biggest vote was for elements that help elevate your outfits. And that is something that I've been obviously playing with a lot in the last year. So I will be doing an episode about that soon for you. But I just felt like touching base with you and answering a good old Q&A just on any topics you guys might have. So there is a lot of questions from Instagram. Thank you so much for sharing them. I do not know that I'm going to get to everybody's question. This episode might be two hours long. So if I don't get to your question and you don't hear it, please repost it the next time I do a call out for questions for this kind of thing. And then it'll go up to these messages because right now I'm just going to go down the line of unread messages in my phone right now and see what you guys have asked me. So let's dive right in. Okay. Now we have starting off with Pippi Rocks who says, Q&A question that's rattling my brain. If we've experienced all of our past lives on earth, wouldn't that mean that all of our formal physical forms are potentially currently on this earth in our present lifetime? What are the odds we might come across that body in a modern cemetery? (laughs) She made a weird face on that one, emoji style. Um, Do you think we'd feel anything or even potentially come across the same place we died? Wouldn't our knowingness know? This is genuinely keeps me up at night. Okay, so obviously I'm not the, you know, end all be all answer to this kind of thing. I can just tell you from all the many past lives I've personally dealt with, they're more on the energetic form at this point, kind of like a much easier way to explain it is like ghosts, uh, because they are, they're pieces of traumatized mental capacity (laughs) that no longer are in a body, or at least not in our time and space reality, they are not in a body and we're feeling their presence in our lives in some form or fashion. Those are the past life patterns we're releasing and integrating, at least through the past life specialty training that we've been doing and all of the (laughs) dozens that I've done in myself over the last year. So as far as the physical, you're you're trying to bring it back to, well, what does that mean to the physical world we're in right now? So does that mean all of our former physical forms are potentially currently on this earth. Oh, I get it. I get it. You're saying like, are the all the bodies? Well, that's wild because if I've had 1,052 human lives, as my inner voice has said, that would be 1,052 bodies buried into the earth at some point in our fashion. Maybe some of them are like prehistoric. Maybe they're Atlantean, you know, who knows? Um, So maybe they're not easily findable to resurrect. But yeah, that is 
it is just wild to think about the number of bodies that have passed away in this world and are present in some form or fashion or some form of decay. Yet, yeah, in a modern cemetery. I guess that's possibly true. Yes, I guess so. By the way, let me also do an asterisk to this. Um, as far as past lives or past experiences, your soul may not have only had human form lives. So there could be other realities you've experienced with or without physical form. And it could even be what people consider alien form, aka not a human form. Um, so <laughs> just to throw some extra wrenches into the conversation there. But yes, even on the subject of the bodies on the earth, yeah, that's that would be true. Theoretically. Yep. There you go. That is true. Yeah. Do you think we'd feel anything or if, if potentially coming across the same place we died, would our knowingness know? This is interesting. And I think it varies person to person and depending on the level of awareness in the lifetime they're in right now. So if you're in a very dense lifetime, I do not think like, like with a lot of, um, un- tapped potential to connect to your greater awareness, then you're not going to notice much of anything. If anything, you won't even be listening to this episode. <laughs> this probably would not be interesting to you at all if the awareness was kind of really, really obscured. You'd just be focusing on whatever's happening in your daily life as you might have been even 10 years ago or 30 years ago in this lifetime as well. Now, I can say a few different stories that are interesting. Uh, okay, so I found it most interesting from my experiences when I interact with somebody in a human form that was also a connection in a past life. So I've been more dealing with the aliveness of storylines continuing or meeting people that have had roles in previous lives. Most recently, by the way, I don't know if it'll come up in this episode, but at some point I have to share the story of the person, Becca, that bought the painting from me from Vancouver that had to do with Danielle from The Beauty of Life and that whole past life story. It continues. That was even more magically aligned in totally unexpected ways than I ever, ever, ever could have possibly, possibly imagined. So not only did I attract Danielle from a part of a past life, Becca, the person that bought the painting, was also a part of that past life, we found out like a few weeks ago, which is absolutely bonkers. But these are all, you know, my experiences have been most magically connected to that type of, oh my God, this person was connected in this way in this other life and I had no clue. Or people that I've loved, obviously, and I've met in dating scenarios or in relationship scenarios and knowing like where did this person previously reside in my lifetimes before. But as far as the spaces, places, bodies, <laughs> question you're asking, Pippi. Um, I have a friend, I Tony in Australia, good friend of mine. And I remember telling him about past lives and he's not into the woo that much at all, but he's a pretty self-aware person that said. And he mentioned a story where he and his previous partner, she passed away, but years ago they were in France and he knew in this big, big property where everything was as though he'd already been there before. He's like, yep. And there's a gate around this corner. And he remembered without having any clue or any connection to the woo at that point in time, he just knew where things were because potentially his past life had been there before. So he was connected to that space and place and time. So that's one of those stories. I also know of a story of an astrologer in our community who's also pretty psychic. And she and some psychic friends were in Paris wandering around together and they discovered or happened upon a place that they all simultaneously connected to or like, this is where our past life was. And they all shared a common bond in that past life, which I'll leave the details private, even though you don't know who they are. But anyways, they had a common bond in that other life. And so they all remembered the roles that they played and where they played them 
in that building. So wild. So yes, that definitely can happen. Have I had that experience on a physical place or space? No, I've just had more of the humans that connect to past life stories come into my life. And that has been mind blowing for me. So that is my answer to that. But yeah, I never thought about all the bodies sitting around somewhere on the planet in some form of decay. Interesting. Interesting. Now we have Michelle Sophia who said, any advice for giving up habits that you know are not good for you, i.e. too much phone time, not getting enough sleep, et cetera. Would love to hear your opinion on why giving up these habits are hard to follow through on. Thank you. Well, I think that obviously habits that are not good for us, there's many different potential routes. So I think just saying one blanket statement as maybe 10 years ago, personal development might've done is a little bit lackluster in terms of efficacy. (laughs) If it was working out, whatever the one step wonder path was on some person's personal development journey, then I think we'd all be doing it. I think it's more difficult because there's potentially different routes and different sources. And again, different levels of awareness in us at different points in time to looking at these patterns. And so there's kind of like, where is the root? And then also where is our awareness right now at discovering what that root is, uncovering it and shifting it. So that is a journey we're all on. (laughs) And sometimes patterns, now maybe not phone time per se, but things like uh, substance abuse or other more difficult addictions or habits than we might have could also connect to potentially ancestral patterns or past life experiences that have to do with that. So for example, on a personal, you know, habit level, I had a woman in one of our community classes say she had a really difficult time staying still. Her inner voice would say to be still, to be still. Now this would on her surface of her mind look like I want to meditate and I just have a hard time sitting down and meditating. I'll do anything to avoid sitting down and being still. Now that looks on the surface like a very simple, what's wrong with you? Let's personal development this thing through kind of thing. But she was aware enough to recognize that there really was something kind of seeming stuck when it comes to this pattern in herself. So I asked her in her voice as we were in a, you know, kind of coaching session, in her voice, is this this life or past life or both? And she got both and it connected to a past life. Okay. In her voice, what do we need to know? Turns out that woman had another lifetime. The soul of the woman had a lifetime where I think it was a man. Actually, I don't remember the age or gender of the the other life, but essentially the human that the other life it was, it was a mudslide. Like they got stuck in a mudslide and died in a mudslide, but they were trying to get out of the mudslide. And the mudslide was stillness, obviously, and was killing them in the process. And so the last thing that soul remembered from that lifetime was not wanting to be still because stillness was leading to death. And obviously the life died, but was still in trauma. So that's where the ghost kind of concept comes in. We just had Halloween yesterday, as I record this episode. So kind of appropriate to go story. So that life needed to release that traumatic experience and move forward so that the lifetime in this lifetime could be still. So I haven't actually spoken with that woman. I don't remember what class she was in, but I hope to hear back if I ever see her again to ask her how's stillness going. What I find is when the past lives are creating the chaos, it is very hard to shift the pattern until the past life has actually released the pattern. So 
it's kind of like you have to go to where the root is. Or the way I say it is, if the music is coming from another room in the mansion or down the hall in the hotel, if the music you're hearing in your room is coming from another room and you're looking around searching in room endlessly for how to turn the music off, but the music's not even playing from your room in the first place, that's why the past lives need to get integrated is because it's not the root of the music's not playing from the room that you're in. And so it drives you nuts going, where is the music switch? Where is the switch? Where is it? Where is it? I can't stop the music. I can't stop the music. I keep hearing it. I keep hearing it. Now, interestingly too, just like real music physically in this reality, the music you'd hear if it's playing, if the band is in another room, but you're hearing it in your room and you can't find the off switch to this band that's playing in the other room. The other room has it much louder than you have it in yours. So most of the time, what we're getting is only a muffled fraction of the intensity in our physical manifested experience that the original lifetime, this is just observational through the dozens I've had and myself and all the clients I've worked with now on this, it's usually more intense in the other life than this one. Now, you could still have, let's say, the substance abuse that the other life had, but the other life would have probably had it much more intensely and worse, you know, air quotes on worse. Um, you will still be struggling and suffering in this life, no doubt, because you're going to potentially be feeling some of, or if not close to equal, the same intensity, emotionally speaking, to the other life. It's just that the manifested form of your physical circumstances in this life may not be to the same level 10 traumatic issue. So for example, the woman that couldn't be still, her past life drowning in the mudslide, that was obviously a level 10 experience and a level 10 emotion, but she was feeling roughly a level 10 emotion just when she's trying to meditate, you know, once a day. And so that obviously was not the same level of intensity. The manifestation was just coming from her inner voice being still and telling her to be still and her not being able to do it because she's feeling the level 9, 10, 8, 9, 10 intensity of the mudslide life. But once the mudslide life had let go and integrated as we did together to help her other life move on, then she was able to theoretically at least, be still. And I'm just amazed. I keep following up with all the other clients that I can consistently work with and continue to do like repeated sessions through Welling. By the way, we have Welling 3 coming up. So excited. Welling is a small group, intimate group coaching that I do. There's usually, I don't know, eight to 12 people in the group, very small group. And I work with everybody one-on-one every single session at this point. That's what we've got the numbers for so small and intimate that I can do that. And everyone's loved it so much that we keep carrying it over, but we do offer uh, new people to join us. So if you feel like it's a fit, there's a three month group. I, I'm surprised we're still doing it. We did it for three months, six months ago, I guess. And then we did a second round and now they're like, we love this so much. We want to keep going. So if that feels like a fit, by all means, come on in. We would love to have you if it feels aligning for your intuition. Um, you can go to bellalively.com slash welling if you want to sign up and register for that now. We start in a few weeks. But for the Welling Three. Uh, that kind of group is where I've gotten to see a lot of people's past lives come up, integrate them. So every other week, you know, they're bringing up whatever's showing up for them in their lives. And of course, if there's anything a la past life integration slash whatever showing up in their lives, beanbag releasing, inner voicing, 
just general life conversations. It's a really beautiful community space and small group that everyone knows each other. I look at everybody now as like TV shows that I'm following because I get to know them so well through the time we're spending together that I'm like, oh, what's going on in this show? What's going on in this show? And everybody gets to watch them follow along with each other and support each other. It's beautiful. But anyways, those types of experiences, I've seen a lot of these past lives. Obviously, I keep following up with people and asking, how's this going? How's this going? And I am just amazed at how beautiful their experiences are being. So, so thankful to be able to follow up and also help those people in the best and highest way for them. Okay. Now we have Brownstones of Clinton who said, what are your thoughts on paranormal ghosts, etc.? Do you think paranormal experiences are a creation of the mind? Do you think the souls do linger on earth? Well, as you've just been hearing me reference <laughs> a lot, <laughs> yes, I do believe it is. And to me, it just makes sense. So when I was young, I didn't know if there was ghosts or not. I was never heavily for or against. I just, you know, the subject was around when I was young and I just didn't think about it. I didn't care whether it was true or not. Now what I feel is this. Okay. So if your mind has a big traumatic experience, a la you got killed in a mudslide. Now the body dies in the mudslide. Okay. So the physical form of like, let's say the toaster oven, it dies, but, the, or you could say the phone dies, the phones, the physical forms and this reality all die. But the consciousness, the awareness that is actually keeping the form alive in the first place, the only reason the human was alive before it was in the mudslide was because consciousness went into the form. And then when consciousness leaves the form, it's not alive. So electricity in our reality, electromagnetic reality that we live in, obviously runs on electromagnetics being a part of the physical you know, physics factors that animate this reality into form. But the consciousness that is pure consciousness is what is actually creating the movement or even the experiential perception of electromagnetic fields in the first place. All right. So the consciousness is what keeps things alive, whether it's your dog, whether it's a person, you name it, consciousness, a plant, <laughs> the consciousness, the life force, as some people call it, needs to be present. And when it's no longer present, the thing has been said to be dead. It's just decaying and the form basically is going back into pure potential. As it decays, it then turns into new potentials and fertilizes and becomes something new. So the protons, electrons, gluons, quarks, all that kind of stuff just kind of keep recirculating, but the consciousness that comes in keeps taking on new form and shape over time. That's part of the impermanence of this reality, or as Abraham Hicks calls it, the recycling program. Now, if you think of the consciousness that is what is actually making this phone alive and also what we know it to be, we don't know it to be just a body that's like in a on a, I think of like a vegetable type of body when they're on life support, but they're like the brain dead, you know, that would be just, it could be alive, but there's no actual consciousness in the sense of a personality form, right? Or the mind, you could say the subconscious and the mind being present. Now, if the person dies because of the landslide or because they got hung in the 1800s or what have you, uh, they physically no longer exist, but the actual consciousness that was actually keeping them alive. The thing they actually were was not the body. It was the consciousness in the body. It was the consciousness that was the thing. You are not your physical form. Your consciousness is just in this. And this is why you have many past lives. Your consciousness just keeps coming into new form. Now, when a, a form dies, but the mind of that form does not get over the trauma of it, what happens? So if you're not actually the form, you're just consciousness in the form the whole time, then the form dies dramatically, traumatic, 
likely, you name it, through war, famine, the Salem witch trials, you name it, then the mind may not get over that experience that it just went through, but yet the body died. So what happens then? What happens when the mind is like, I cannot believe that just happened, but the body literally couldn't live after it got shot or it jumped off the bridge, you name it, right? So that consciousness is still, what that's what I consider the ghost, is the piece of consciousness of that soul that the physical form did not live long enough to, you know, stay alive to still be upset in the physical form. When we have someone that's in a physical form that didn't die, we call that PTSD. We call that post-traumatic stress disorder. But what happens when PTSD happens and the body died? That's a ghost to me. PTSD without a body, ghost. Now, that consciousness that is now haunting. And if you think about it, it makes sense also interestingly because when I work with my past life sessions and the ones I've had, Mostly the things that the mind after a body dies and they haven't let go and they still are haunting, quote unquote, are very traumatic things. And even think about ghost stories as we hear about them colloquially, they're just like the the mother's baby died or the lover left and never came back from war or the they hung themselves, they committed suicide, they were killed. There's a lot of deep trauma, the ghost stories, they're not just like grandma watched TV and then she fell asleep and and she died like peacefully in her sleep. And now she's haunting us. That might be a connection point you might have, but it's a more pleasant one than the ghosty ones. The ghosty ones are just the ones that haven't gotten over the experience they previously were in, but now they're not in a body. So they're not trapped in the same version of time-space reality that we are. So for them without time, because the physical form ties them to seconds, minutes, hours, and the circles around the sun, when they're not in a physical form, they're no longer bound by that kind of time frame. So we have them for potentially what we say is like, there's a ghost from 200 years ago, could just be for their experience. It may not feel like at anything like 200 years ago to the ghost, you could say, to the consciousness that's now still not letting go. And I feel like what I've had to do in my own personal last year was like go clean up all the old energies of all of the lifetimes my soul's experienced to help bring them to wisdom and conclusion. So as we talk about, I obviously have released a lot of beanbags in my own life, but that doesn't mean the other lifetimes knew how to do that. And so they may still be in their now moments and their now time-space reality still struggling and suffering in certain ways. Now, a lot of them were those big, traumatic, ghosty type of experiences. And I notice a lot of our clients often have love lost. That is something like whether they lost a child, whether there's a lot of immigration stories actually um, stick through, through the lives I've been working with with my clients. Like they got taken away from a family that they wanted to be you know, obviously physically connected to or war. Um, so love lost, a partner leaves them, they lost a child, or they cheated, or there was some traumatic sexual abuse situation, whether they're victim or victimizer. These are a lot of things that people's past lives may bring up, and also a lot of death scenarios, a lot of traumatic death. So they usually don't have like a past life where they're like just integrating a grandma that happily died in her 80s. Like that's usually not the past life that we're getting to. We're usually getting to the traumas to help them. Now that said, all the beautiful, let's say functional, beautiful, happy, aligned lives, let's say like were very great at music or painting or sculpture or speaking or writing, that 
kind of stuff, those skills, those skills may be very potentially natural gifts that you have in your life this time. So you can have some of the, you know, the ghosty stuff where you've got some patterns of I can't be still, I can't be still because of the landslide guy. But then you could also have that person could have had a brilliant orator several lifetimes being a beautiful speaker. And she also may be a beautiful speaker as much as she may not be able to be still at home alone very easily. She also might be a brilliant public speaker. So you take the good, you take the bad, but you want to get all of these to a form of conclusion, to a releasing of those stories, which is really beautiful because then it really plays out that we can change, like that the future is the past healed, that we can heal the past in this now, which we consider the future, but is all still ultimately, as Eckhart says, the power of now. And you only have to deal with these, by the way, if you're like, oh my God, this whole episode's past lives already. <laughs> Just don't worry. Like it comes up when it's ready in the now that's right for you to deal with. Thank God I didn't deal with these past lives sooner than I did because I don't think I would have been as ready. Um, that said, I didn't have any training or support by anybody else. I was just going into this blindly as my intuition tends to do with me. It just throws me into the fire and makes me figure this out through itself. And then after doing it a ton of time with myself, I do it with others. And now actually, by the way, on the subject of this, we're I think we're going to do another round of past life specialty training for IVFT grads. I did a little poll, just curious if people wanted it. And it seems like there's some interest. So if you're IVFT and you want to do this, next round's coming soon. Details following. And if you want to do a session, if you feel like you've got a really, really, if you're just a listener going, I, yeah, I just like can't be still, but I feel like there's something more to it potentially because I really, really, really can't be still or what have you. Um, maybe you have a weird fear of, I always had that fear of drowning, even though I always had zero trauma around actual drowning. I just would react from a trauma response my entire life to water and diving to the bottom of water and not getting to the surface of water in time, that kind of stuff. So you could have some of those types of phobias that don't actually track to any experiences in your life, or you could have patterns like I can't be still, or you have certain reactions, even just to difficult potential relationships could be karmically linked. So that's fascinating too. Um, we'll be having some people potentially going through the training soon. So you might be able to work with them and get some clarity if you so choose. Okay. And also, by the way, if you want to do this right away, just go over to the find a facilitator page. So bellalively.com slash find a facilitator. We have the current already, I think 10 or 11 uh, past life facilitators who are already trained to work with you immediately. So you can go find them and start working immediately with those people. All right. Now we have Autricot who said for the Q&A, hi, Bella, like you, I am drawn to perfecting exterior beauty with treatments, tools, etc. But I always wonder if I'm trying to compensate for my lack of inner confidence, still working on that one, or if I'm applying my perfectionistic tendencies on my body and appearance. What is your take on external versus internal beauty and self-confidence, perfectionism, etc.? How do you know if you're just doing it for the joy of it and not for compensating or for other people's eyes? Oh my gosh. I love this question. I want to do an entire episode. And eventually I think I'm going to do a whole class on this because I love this. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So what you need to recognize is, am I doing this for perfectionism? So self-aware is a question to wonder versus your own actual joy. Okay. So this is how you do. This is so easy to know. First of all, you want to just basically go into yourself and go into your Bella Vida and see what do I do 
if I am in my own reality, you guys might be like, what's Bella Vita? I've talked about it a bunch of times, but basically Bella Vita is my own personal private reality dimension that I've made for myself. I have a beautiful planet that I made that is all my own and I just do whatever I want there. It's very just pure imagination, pure playtime. And whatever I do there, I no one can see it. No one can ever be there. It's all just for me. So I go there and I see, what do I want to do? And I have this reality. I can play with anything, create any experience at my command. What do I do there? And obviously there's no one there to look at me. There's no one there to judge me. There's no one there to tell me this is right or this is wrong, or this is the politically correct thing to do, or this is the politically wrong thing to do. No one's there to tell me what I should do with my own reality. And so then I can really assess, what do I do when no one is looking and no one can enter? What actually brings me joy? in that now moment that I immediately bring up. Now, I might want to be Elmo <laughs> in my, my reality, and that's totally fine. I don't have to be Elmo in this reality, obviously. I could be Elmo all day long in my Bella Vita if that makes me happy, or have Elmo as a little character next to me if I want to be a human in the reality as an avatar and have a little Elmo character. I do have Frenchies everywhere. I have, uh, I have Buddha, Cheesecake, Jalapeno, and I have Ellie, my actual dog from my past life in this life as Jess. And... Yeah, Buddha cheesecake jalapeno. So I have my sassy, which is Buddha, the sweet, which is cheesecake, and the spicy, which is jalapeno aspects of myself. And then I, ha oh, I even have Henry Cavill. If you guys remember, I've well, he's not Henry Cavill. He's just Henry Lively, <laughs> which is a masculine version of me, but he looks like Henry Cavill. And he's the masculinized aspect of myself that I play with in Bella Vida. And so I love asking Henry when I'm in dating scenarios in this reality as a female, what Henry says I should do, which is just my inner voice taking on a persona of the masculine um, you know, aspect of myself. It's almost, I don't know Hindu culture at all. So I'm not trying to project on a culture I don't know anything about, but to my like loose understanding, I think there's a lot of different gods with different aspects or they like re represent different things. And maybe they don't, I don't want to like be too, I don't know anything about the culture to speak on it educatedly at all, but just imagining like taking on um, the personification of different aspects of this reality or your own personality is just fun to play with. So anyways, I do that with the other beings, quote unquote, but I could even be just one being if I want to in that reality. So that's one thing is I find that like what I like doing now, interestingly, I thought about getting pajamas that are old fashioned, like with the button down, like they kind of look like a bowling shirt and then you get pants that match them. They're popular, especially in the UK because they're very warm and cozy. I thought about getting them and then I put them in Bella Vida and I realized I would never have those at Bella Vida. I'm not saying I may not get them on earth, but I could tell that I would never have those types of pajamas on my body in Bella Vida. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I never particularly loved them in this reality, but I thought about getting them because so many girls I follow in fashion have them. And I thought maybe that would be good for the winter. But as I went to Bella Vida, I was like, oh no, I do have the, um, a shirt like that, like a sleep shirt, but not the whole set, like the pants plus the shirt. No, my, my Bella Vida would never include that. So that's something that's popular in mass consciousness now, but I would never actually have on my own in Bella Vida. So that's cool to see. So that would be something I would be picking up on. And it doesn't make it wrong or right. If I choose it here, it's fine. It doesn't mean, you know, I don't even eat food barely in Bella Vida. And here I do eat more food than what I would eat in Bella Vida. So of course, you know, you have to adjust to the reality you're in. But when it comes to your beauty treatments, et cetera, 
figuring out what you actually care about in your Bella Vita. Like for me, let's say like right, right now, big lips are really in. Obviously, it's a big trend in beauty treatments and stuff. It's not my trend. And in my own Bella Vita, I might have nice lips, but I do not make them any specific larger, dramatically larger size than anything that I have now. So they might be plump and beautiful, but they're not specifically dramatically different. So I doing that here would just be literally just doing it because it's trend. It wouldn't be anything that actually sparks any natural joy here for me personally or there for me personally. So that is one way to do it. The other thing to do is to beanbag all the damn beanbags you got on the subject of your body and get rid of them. So you get to neutral about everything before you do anything. So let's say I'm like, for example, have this ridge under my eyes. And I'm thinking about doing PRF, which is platelet-rich fibrin. I've heard it's really good for it. I have to do some more research on it before I decide if I want to do it or not. But basically, they would take my blood, spin it with the fibrin thing. There's PRP and then there's PRF. And I've heard F is the fibrin's better than platelet-rich plasma or platelet replasma replacement, whatever. I'm going to look into the mall. I'm going to do the research. I'm going to see if I want to do it, see if I can find someone I like to do it and potentially do it. Now, the thing about doing that is to beanbag any feeling I have about how the eyes look now first so that I'm neutral. The eyes are what they are. They don't have to change. I can at least be neutral. And then in Bella Vida, they don't have that ridge. <laughs> so I'm going to go then after that and do it for the joy and the play. Doing it from a place of feeling afraid of looking old or afraid of what other people are going to say or afraid of the lack of acceptance in yourself is never the reason to do something. But to do it from a playful self-expression and joy is always appropriate. And I've done enough inner voicing with my inner voice and with other inner voices of friends and clients around the subject. And I've figured out that the theme tends to be for all the inner voices. And obviously going to your own inner voice on this too, of course, number one step and only step is to do that. But I remember a friend of mine who wants to, well, has not liked her nose, but is afraid of getting her nose changed because she fears what that will what signal that'll bring her daughter. This is, again, to a bigger, bigger episode. I'm going to do a lot of conversation around this. But with the daughter she has, she didn't want to do it to herself because she thought that would send a bad message to her daughter about accepting her daughter's, you know, self. She didn't want this to be a precedent. Well, mom got her nose done, so I should change this, 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 and that about herself. Okay. That was her fear. When we did the inner voicing, and we did the beanbag releasing. Her inner voice was like, do it for play. Don't do it to fix your nose. If, but if you want to change your nose for play, you can. And what it said was basically, and what was fascinating about this friend is that she, when she was young, had a little fluke deformity kind of thing on an ear. And so her mother, when she was young, to prevent her daughter from being made fun of, had her little defect, I don't say defect, it's just a quirk on her ear, had it removed or changed so that that wasn't there to prevent her daughter, which is my friend, from getting made fun of when she went to school. So interesting because this friend always loved that quirk about her ear. She knew it signified and felt into it signifying something special and actually having to do with other past lives. I don't want to get too hyper-specific about this because it's a personal friend's story. But either way, the actual what her mom saw as a defect, she saw as a loving quirk and a special little nod to another aspect of herself that she loved. And so she actually looks back and wishes that 
quote unquote defect that her mother had changed was still present on her ear because to her it brought her joy. So for her, that surgery, which her mother had done to prevent her from being ostracized, actually was something that should have stayed because the daughter actually loved it naturally herself. Now, whether she would have gotten made fun of or not, who knows, but the friend I am friends with, the one that actually had the ear, wanted to keep it. That's an example of getting something done is not the right thing because she actually loved the thing. But then on the flip side, let's say this friend knows if she wants to change it after she's been bagged and gone, it is my nose. It doesn't have to be this way. It can be this way. I'm okay either way. Then she could change it and actually do that because she actually prefers that. But she prefers the ear the way it originally was and she wishes her nose is a little different. So it's not about never getting the nose job done because that would be wrong. It's about playfully enjoying and not being afraid in this world. Right now, she's playing out of fear. She's afraid of her daughter um, getting a bad message. Her mother was afraid that she was going to get made fun of. But if no one is actually afraid, what do people do? She would have kept the ear and changed the nose. It's as simple as that. When there's no more fear present, what does someone do? And you can still play. You can still experiment. Otherwise, I mean, look at iPhones. You know, on their natural way, they're they're given no screen covers. They're given no um, covers in like the the cases. There's no cases on a phone. It comes in glass, and obviously glass scratches, and a lot of stuff can happen to glass. It can break easily, and also it's just fun self expression to get a case if you want a case. You can keep it naked if you want to too. You can put a glass protector on it if you want a glass protector. There's so many things. We, a glass protector. I guess in the human forms, like SPF, you can put SPF on or if you want or not, doesn't matter. It can scratch up. It might not, you know, it doesn't matter. Do it if you want to, don't if you want not to, but like have, don't overthink this basically, but also get those beanbags out of the way, get that inner voice activated and go into your Bella Vida and figure out what actually feels aligning for you. Maybe in your Bella Vida, you're Elmo and you don't even want to be Elmo in this reality. So that's fine. I don't want to look like Henry Cavill in this reality, but in my play reality, I have a place where I play with an aspect of myself as Henry. And if I want to take on the actual form in my point of view of perception as Henry in that reality, great. But I don't want to be Henry in this reality. But maybe I did. And maybe that's interesting if I really felt into that so strongly enough, I'd want it. But for me, I'm happy with certain things in Bella Vida only and certain things I love bridging and bringing here also. So as I buy new things for the flat, I love going to Bella Vida and picking the best, most appropriate thing that I'd have in Bella Vida and approximate the best and closest I can get to that here also. It's amazing. And it's so much simpler and it's so much more sovereign and it's so much more individual to you. So I hope that helps. But I want to talk a lot about that because I think there's so much misconception. Actually, interestingly, I think the, the world of beauty hasn't really been addressed very much by this kind of perspective that allows everything and doesn't judge things, but also sees where things are more helpful or more aligning and when they're not and just allows everything and obviously allows everyone to have their experience that they're choosing to have right now, but also just help bring a little bit more clarity to the playfulness we can have so that it's not so laden with shoulds and shouldn'ts. There's so much out there, especially in the spiritual space that I think is just often confused and not necessarily inwardly aligned. So more on that to come if you guys are interested. All right. Now we have Kelsey Argot who said, do your nails become weak, thin, or brittle when you do manicures multiple months in a row? Any tips on how to avoid that and or nail care in general? Um, I do not have that issue, but if I ever did, I might take a break. So 
I would say so far I've had many years of manicures without them. I think at one point years and years ago in the travel years, I might've had a period of brittleness. I do the Russian manicure or the e-file technique manicure. You can search both of those terms to find what I'm talking about. It's amazing. It's not always the easiest, especially I think in the US and or small towns that aren't in Eastern Europe, (laughs) mostly. Uh, So bigger cities that have Eastern Europeans or technicians that are bringing that technique to different places. And obviously it just needs to spread. This and lymphatic drainage massage, but the Brazilian lymphatic drainage massage that gets rid of cellulite, those two Two techniques are so powerful, and I just want them to be more available readily in so many parts of the world for everyone that wants to enjoy them. But that technique doesn't use any acetone. So there's zero acetone ever going on my nails now. So they use the drill, and they use very strong gel, but my nails do not ever face acetone. And I do think that overall, I feel that the acetone was more weakening to my nails than this technique with the drill only. So um, I don't have that issue. But of course, if I did have that issue, I would take a break. I just haven't for years. Now, there's another question. Ask me because I love getting gel manicures. I haven't found the Russian manicure, but after going back for about six weeks straight, my nails have become so weak, thin and brittle. It seems like a cycle. However, my natural nails are never very strong before manicures. For reference, I've always taken a multivitamin, another multivitamin made for hair growth, recommended and collagen too. Yeah, that is also true. I was just going to say, I'm glad I read the second section, Kelsey. So yeah, the vitamins for hair growth or anything that's biotin or collagen, those are supposed to all be really, really good for nails. So I'm glad you're taking those too. But you know, you have to work with your own body and what it is obviously giving you or not giving you. And maybe it's not loving the traditional acetone manicures. So maybe staying away for those for a while and maybe going to just regular paint and a soft non-acetone acetone remover might help you for the nail state that you're in and or until the point where you might be able to find the Russian manicure and see if that works. It may not work. I don't know. Everybody's nails are different. I just am sharing from my experience. Now we have Celia is asking uh, for the IVFT past life stuff. There's lots of past life showing up since I joined IVFT and I'm quite a hard time releasing. And I feel the planet needs to break from the cycle past on pain cycles. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Now we have, uh, someone asked me where my boots are from. So Sophia Ray Felsen. So these boots she's looking at in the picture of my outfitting are from Russell and Bromley, which is a UK company. And I'm starting to slowly try to figure out like where I can share links. And obviously a lot of things that I'm finding available in the UK may not be available elsewhere in the world or available to link, but they're Russell M. Bromley. I don't know if they sell internationally, but it's a UK based brand. But when you look at my stuff on the on the the picture, some of the stuff is like investment stuff. My inner voice wants to buy really high quality energetic items, basically, is what I've noticed. As Bella, it is not it's not suffering any fools when it comes to dating, and it's not suffering, it's always getting the highest energetic quality thing that it wants, basically. I've noticed that's been its its go-to. So when I share these outfitting things, obviously some of the things are investment pieces that I will either have for years and years and years, potentially decades to come, or I will sell on because they are made to last years and years or decades to come. So it's basically really that's I don't know, the inner voices guidance for me in my season of life right now. So if those things are not in your alignment, then feel free to take a look at the outfits. And if I wear like a black leather mini skirt that I got at Witchery, which is a UK company, and then I had it hemmed. So now it's kind of very specific to my body like that. You know, when you see it, you can see the length of it. If you like that length for your own legs and like, you could see like a black leather mini skirt, just see if you can find your own. Uh, the word they use here in the UK is the dupes. 
See if you can find your own dupe for the thing that you might be inspired by. Actually, this actually happened for me yesterday. I was watching a video of some fashion girls and they showed this outfit with a beautiful kind of oatmeal cropped chunky sweater and a burgundy mini skirt that was leather. And I was like, oh, the burgundy plus the chunky oatmeal color. I just thought it was so pretty. And I, everything I have right now is black basically for this season. So I was like, all right, I'm wearing like black and rotation of different black things together all the time now. But the burgundy could go with all that black really well. And that could just like basically give me double all the outfits that I already have and not just use the one black leather miniskirt, but now have a burgundy one. And I was like, what if I got an ivory or a camel? Oh my God, I have like 15 times the outfits if I just get different colors of that same element. So that said, I didn't know where that red miniskirt was from. So I just started Googling like burgundy miniskirt. And I know enough now to know what the shape and profile would look good on me and my legs. I like an A-line miniskirt. That just, oh, so flattering for me. So that was what I was looking for. So I took the inspiration of the colors and the material that I liked. And then I just started Googling for what's available in the UK that is approximately that, but then finding the right one that really would work perfectly for me. Um, all right. Now we have Kristen Giles who said thoughts or experience on Botox. Yes, I have had Botox and I actually, my best friend growing up, my high school friend, college friend, you know, long time best friend, she's a dermatologist. So she got into Botox and, you know, through all of her training since we were in college and after. So I didn't do it back then, obviously, but she was getting trained on it. I think I got into that sooner than I ever probably would have naturally without her being my closest friend, because when I was in my early 30s, she offered to do it for me for free. And I was like, well, this is something I'd like to try. So I did with her because of that. So I got more into it sooner than I probably ever, I don't know when I would have ever come across that kind of stuff if I hadn't had her as a friend to do it for me for free when I first got started using it. But I'd say do your research on terms of where you place it. And also do your research on who does it for you. I have a friend who got it done and it seemed like a straightforward thing. I think she just got it on her forehead and she ended up, not to like make a scare, I'm not trying to scare anyone off Botox. Most people get it and it's totally fine. But I have a friend though that didn't have a case where she went to a place that should have done a good job. And she ended up unfortunately having what we call the Quasimodo eye for like a few months where it drooped one of her eye. I don't know what happened and what the injector did wrong, but they somehow did something where her eye was drooping down. I've never had anything remotely close to that being uh, around Botox, but I know that, you know, I've also been very careful if I do go to go to the very best technician for anything like that, that I can find uh, for that. So yeah, I, I, I have done it and I, many, if not most of my personal friends have as well. And I just think, again, beanbag and get to neutral about everything. So it is what it is. You want to get to clear. You want to get to neutral. And then from that place of neutral, not doing it from a place of forcing or dislike or disruption, just to change it. What's your preference? So it's like, for example, right now I have a pink silicone iPhone case on my iPhone. I used to have a white one and the white one was getting really dirty. I had it for a long time. And I was like, all right, time to recycle that one and get the pink one. And I preferred getting the pink one and I preferred to have a case. You don't have to have a case and you don't have to change them out regularly or you could change them every other week. Like the choice is truly yours, but you'll want to do it from a place of joyful, playful self-expression, not a perfectionistic, I need to prove myself and worthiness for others. Do it what you do when you're, you know, Bella Vida, basically. 
over and over again. My inner voice on the subject said, small tweaks. That was the book it told me. Small tweaks. Don't change big things, just little things. And that has served me very, very well. Now we have... Oh, Dolly and you are kindred spirits. That's cute. I don't know what that's from, but that is cute. I just actually another friend just shared Dolly Parton um, on her Instagram and I just saw she sounds like a great person. I've never studied her, you know, stuff or anything, but that is cute. Now we have Camille who said, how do you ground yourself when traveling so much? I have a period of open-ended travel and was very thrown off by the lack of my routine and the logistics of constantly moving. Would love to give it a shot again. Any tips on grounding and adaptability? Well, everybody's different. And this is funny. I'm going to tap on astrology for a second. I don't know if this is too important, but everyone's obviously going to have a different makeup energetically and astrology will share what that makeup might be in certain energetic ways. I am all air on the three major signs. So my ascending is Aquarius, my sun is Libra, and my moon is Gemini. So I'm a completely air sign. Now, not to make that a huge deal. I do have like a Capricorn Mars in it. So I have a few things that are more earthy and a Pisces is somewhere. So I have some watery things and some earthy things, but mostly I'm air and a bit of fire too. So that and also, by the way, the, the, the Libra, though, de definitely likes houses and definitely likes pretty things and definitely likes home and partner. So that said, as I say, I'm all air and like I don't need to be grounded. Mm, yeah, but I also do love having a home and a partner because that other part of my sign loves that. But I would say I've probably been a little bit maybe more adaptable to this, even though my mind wanted a partner and a home to decorate and all those great things um, so much during all of that time. And I was never the gypsy nomad roamer desired person. I just was following my intuition into basically the travel ultimately minor voices really show me was to discover the inside of myself and to detach from mass consciousness, family consciousness, ancestral consciousness, friend consciousness, to really go into myself and to really find my own sovereignty. And then therefore also to share that back with you guys. So that was the real intention of the travel more than anything. I think also it's beautiful. It's experience of understanding the world in a deeper way and belief systems in a more um, holistic way because I'm not tied to any specific cultural systems. I can see many different nuances between them, but I'm not necessarily now attached to many of them at all. Um, so good things came from it. As far as grounding, I did this the moving slowly <laughs> and I would buy the candles, buy the flowers for the flats I was in as I was slowly moving. Would I do it in a hotel? Well, I did in the two months I just was in the hotel. I even bought a plant because I was trying to ground. I wanted to have something that didn't die every week. Uh, so I'd say make the best of it. Do your best with it. I don't have anything magical. People ask me about even jet lag. I'm like, I just try not to make jet lag a problem. <laughs> I just go through it because if I was always trying to feel perfectly perfect about jet lag, you know, it is what it is. Am I trying to playfully perfect jet lag? No, I just go through it. Just think, you know, what we said about Botox, like if someone doesn't care about Botox that much, then don't do it, right? For me, that is more fun for me to do than perfecting the preference of jet lag. Jet lag is what it is, but I'm not really caring enough to take any action. If I get to neutral on a different subject, like aging or not aging, but like as the body looks, I would like get to neutral. And then if I feel like doing something about something, then I do it. So when it comes to grounding, I just say it is what it is. I would do all the cozy things to make the places I slowly travel to feel like a home. The other thing I noticed, my brother does the same. He travels a lot as well. And we both have this habit of needing to 
well, feeling that urge to unpack immediately as we get to somewhere so that we have the sense of feeling like we are there as long as possible. So not living out of the suitcase open on the ground as like ever. So as much as possible, unpacking and as quickly as possible. So those are my tips, but they're not, you know, I don't have any magic thing. I definitely in the last two months staying in the hotel, especially did not prefer that, but I made the best of it. My intuition even said like, you could leave. And I knew that I could, but the location was so good for where it was. And there are other pieces about it that were convenient enough that the I didn't feel like going to find and do the move basically to somewhere else. So I stuck it out until it flowed out. But uh, yeah, there you have it. Now we have oh, ADR saying she loves the uniform. That's my skirt and boots and sweater. Um, now we have Anonymous who says, uh, please ask Anonymous if gets picked up early on, did you try to manifest partners? What happened? How did you get into total flow state with that? Single or not happy? Love your work. Thank you. So how did I try to manifest partners? Of course, for the travel years, I certainly tried to manifest partners heavily. And did I succeed? Not really. I just dated a bunch of people all at once, not all at once, like one at a time. And I just went through a succession of people that did not turn out to be the partner. And then I finally gave up. I'm making this a song. I feel like I'm like Elf right now. (laughs) making up a song and it didn't work out with those people. And then I finally gave up and then I really gave up. I really, really did. Actually, no, I, no, I, I was still, well, I started giving up better. <laughs> and then I met a guy and that lasted a few months and then it really went not good. And then after that, my intuition said I was being a victim. And then I was like, never again. And then I met Atlas and that actually flowed beautifully and perfectly. And then we ended when it was time. And now I do nothing. I do. I have been on the dating apps though, to that point begrudgingly. I actually have gotten off of them recently. I'm still on one of them because it was a paid one. And I, my tuition told me to pay for the $10 a month one, which was a year subscription because otherwise it was $20 a month or 10 for a year. My tuition said 10. So I got the year subscription. So it's still there, but I barely use it. I actually found the dating apps personally very disappointing in the sense that for the bracket of guys I'm trying to theoretically potentially, not say trying to, but the ones I have the dating open for, it's like my age up to, so 39 to 51, I think I have it up to. A lot of the guys at that age, unfortunately, right now are lying about their age and they will say their age is lower than it is. And that kind of integrity right from the start is not fun. So I got sick of having to ask them every time I met them, are you the age you say you are or are you not? And getting to hear their silly responses of why they chose a different year to say that they are for dating purposes. And so that kind of got old <laughs> and I got sick of it. So now I'm just, you know, sometimes use the the one app and now I, I, that's about it. Like I think at anything, I like the socialization aspect of that too, like getting to do things in the city and, and meet new people that might be, but I'm really not trying hard. Um, to be fair, at, over the last year, even in the dating app situation, I've met a lot of people that would like to date me, but now I am so clear about what I want that when it's not the right person, it doesn't take long, you know, my inner voice to to let go. Um, Cause I'm not just looking to casually date people. I'd rather just go on a date, meet someone new, see if they wanna be a friend if it doesn't feel like a fit or just keep being in my beautiful life. So yeah, I'm just really happy now. And I think it really comes down to choosing what you need to be happy no matter what happens 
around partner. That goes for people in a relationship or not in a relationship. Choosing what you need to be happy, partner or not, because you don't know if the partner is going to last forever, but your happiness is always in your personal control. And if you're feeling like it's not, then there's probably a victim story being told. Now, if you have a story around your children and the reason is you can't be perfectly happy the way you'd like because you have kids and you feel like you have to be there for them, then do some inner voicing on that. If that's your partner you're actually with, inner voice on that. Is this true that they're the reason that they're block- I'm blocking my happiness? Is this true that I need to limit myself because of this? And especially if you're single, is it true that I need to block my own happiness because I'm single? Um, I find that it just is about a lot of beanbag releasing. And even for me, some, some past lives that connected to the feeling of existential loss without having a partner, I guess. And then as I, I just feel way more integrated and way more whole even on the human side, I don't know. I just don't have any feelings of fear. And I know I could be with these people that want to date me, but like I would rather be on my own than not be with the right person. And if, as my Henry says, if they're a fool, if I'm suffering an inch, they're a fool. So there's a very like low BS tolerance, like at the whole prospect of dating. Um, And I think that, you know, even from the beautiful relationships I have had, they flowed so well when they were the right ones. So I just trust it's going to happen when it's meant to. And I don't have to lift a finger, as my inner voice said. So will it be from a dating app? Probably not. But do I sometimes go on the dates? Yes, but slower and slower, less and less overall. Okay. That, I think... It's 5555, right as I said, I think that. And it's 8.11 in the morning as I do this. This is so aligned. I'm going to end on that high note. Thank you so much for all of your questions. If I didn't get to it, as I said, please send them another time. And until next time, may something wonderful happen to you today. 